Professors FM. Doug, as you know, we have joined the Professors FM podcast network. So it's extremely exciting. It's like for the first time in my life, I'm going to have academic friends. This is big. And as part of this, we're going to talk about some of the other shows on the network. One of the things we talk a lot about in terms of sports analytics is the role of incentives, right? It's all about incentives. And so one of the other shows on the network is called Taxes for the Masses, brought to you by Lisa DeSimone from the University of Texas and Bridget Stomberg from Indiana University. And so what these two ladies do is they dive into all things taxes. I think it's a great compliment to what we do. In some ways, there's nothing bigger in public policy than taxes in terms of shaping the economy and society because taxes change how people behave. So, you know, give it a listen. Great show. Analytics with Mike Lewis, the podcast where we talk about everything you need to know about sports analytics. Here's your host, Mike Lewis, marketing professor at Emory University. Okay, welcome everyone. Welcome to the Fandom Analytics, the Fanalytics podcast brought to you by the Emory Marketing Analytics Center. Uh, professor Mike Lewis, I give myself a title, I don't know if I do that, and Doug Battle today. Doug, we're going to continue our journey our projections for the NFL with the NFC East today. Do you want to talk about Zach Wilson rumors? Oh man, my social media. See, my I mean we already did the Jets, but Zach Wilson's taking it to he's setting himself apart. These are allegations. Uh, these types of situations are they're so easy to jump on. I just feel like it's very possible that it's completely made up. I believe a ex-girlfriend of Zach Wilson's alleged that he cheated on her with his mom's best friend and yes. that leaked out. And then it's become an entire internet phenomenon because first off, there's all these hilarious tweets where he played for the Cougars in, <laughs> in college. And so he, he has all these tweets where he's like, I love the Cougars and go Cougars. And so people have been retweeting those. But like I said, Mike, I don't like to speculate on these types of situations without uh, any okay. kind of. Well, Doug, apart from the gossip, it's an interesting story to me because he seems to have, the internet's a strange place, right? He seems to have come out of this ahead, if anything. Yeah, that was, that is probably <laughs> the most interesting takeaway from this is that, he and his his team probably they first were like, okay, how do we shut this down? And then now he's like a legend on the internet. All these people saying they're going to buy a Zach Wilson jersey. And last time I checked, Zach Wilson was not the guy in the NFL. Nobody was excited about him or thought he was cool. But they're saying he's Johnny Manziel 2.0. He's become somewhat of an internet legend. And I think... This is the kind of thing, whether it's true or not, he's never going to shake it. It's like Manti Teo's invisible girlfriend. This will always be associated with him. People will always crack the jokes. There will always be the signs in the stadium. We'll see what how he responds when he gets asked about this via interview or whatnot. And that's my favorite thing to look forward to is how is he going to respond to this? Because this is this is completely crazy. And, yeah. I, and I, I get where you're coming from. No one wants to... like. Sp- I guess the thing is, no one wants to get into this in a serious way. Yeah. But this so quickly went from being allegations to just, hey, Zach Wilson went to his prom with two college cheerleaders yeah, that, stuff. 
right? That that is like suddenly he's playing in New York City. He's from BYU. And now I'm you're almost expecting him to walk out in a fur coat a la Joe Namath or Joe Burrow, right? And so it's <laughs> if this were Joe Burrow, it would be like a whole nother level. It would be a whole nother level. But Zach Wilson, it's like he's kind of entered the chat in terms of legendary quarterback stories all of the sudden. And who would have thunk? I mean, Zach Wilson still looks like a teenager. Yeah. And again, it's like this is this is kind of the key to half of what we're doing here that the quarterback really is the story in the NFL. I mean, the quarterbacks are 80% of the narratives. I don't know that anyone else is talking about the New York Jets. Probably no one was talking a lot about even Zach Wilson. But suddenly he's a fun story and everyone's back all in on this stuff. It's like this story became like kind of scandalous, was started scandalous, and this became something that I think made literally everyone happy, which I think says something about our culture, right? It's, yeah, that's, yeah, it speaks to our culture. The I'm on Twitter right now, Mike, and it's just a gold mine with Zach Wilson. But the the celebrity tweet that comes up is Ocho Cinco. <laughs> he just tweeted Zach Wilson is the goat with a goat emoji. You know, and it's like, and again, the, you view it this from a marking perspective. I, I think you're right. His people were probably immediately like, okay, this is a crisis. How we're going to manage this? And now they're probably like, well, how are we going to work with this? How, right? how do this we? This is something this that we. Part of the brand. It's part of the brand. Okay, Doug, uh, NFC East preview. Look, when I originally wrote this, went through all of this, you know, team by team, it's, it's sort of a lot to go through. And upon, but upon rereading it, it's like some of these divisions I started to love even more, right? When you really start to look at all of them in detail, there's almost always a good story. Oh, yeah. At the top of the NFC East, I've got Dak Prescott for the Dallas Cowboys. I've never been a particular Dak Prescott fan. You know, I, I grew up as an anti-Cowboy guy, always rooting against him. And so there's always going to be that that little bit of bias. When I looked at the numbers, I was surprised at how well Dak Prescott performs. Mm-hmm. He is not at that, you know... Pat Mahomes or Aaron Rodgers category, but he's really at that next level. So, I mean, as a as a guy that was always out there doubting the Cowboys investing all that money in Prescott, the numbers say this is actually not that bad of a, that it was not that bad of a play. I've got him as a plus two guy, so I've got the Cowboys forecasted on winning the AF the NFC East at just over ten wins. The Dallas Cowboys quarterback is always a story and. This year, Prescott comes in after, and I don't know what your take on it. Maybe we talked about it at the time. I think Prescott bears complete responsibility for the screw-up in that playoff game of not letting the referee or the umpire touch the ball. So I think he comes into 2022 under immense pressure to, to perform. Yeah, Dak Prescott's one of those guys. It's easy to view him as a middle-of-the-pack NFL quarterback, but when you're a New York Giants fan and you watch your team lose to his team two times a year, you start to feel like this guy he might be more elite than people realize. I think Dak Prescott is... When we talk about quarterbacks, we talk about guys who are capable of winning a Super Bowl and leading a team to a Super Bowl and, and guys who probably just aren't good enough to get the job done. I think he's... He's right on the cusp, but I, I think under the right circumstances, a Dak Prescott-led team could win a Super Bowl. 
And so I think that's what Dallas saw in him when they invested all that money in him. And we will see. He, you know, it's interesting, Mike. We talk about quarterbacks who decline as they age because of their running ability and, and losing that. Prescott in college was, was a huge part of his game. And he was he played a lot like Tim Tebow and he played in Dan Mullen's system, same offensive system as Tim Tebow. So there was some question as to whether or not that would translate to the NFL. He's really developed as a pocket passer. And I think that's what allows quarterbacks with that natural skill set to perform at a high level for a longer period of time. The thing I wonder about Prescott, again, looking at the numbers, and like I said, you know, I, I, I come in with my own biases. Everyone has their own biases. When I run the numbers, and I got Prescott as about a two-win quarterback. Mm. So I, I think the way you put it out there is he's a guy that's good enough to win Super Bowl or Super Bowls for a team is dead on. He is at that level of a guy that can win two, three Super Bowls over the course of a, of a career. Uh, maybe like a Ben Roethlisberger. Right, Eli Manning, Ben Roethlisberger, that tier of quarterback. But what I start to wonder about is, and, and I, I don't recall, how deep has Prescott taken the Cowboys into the playoffs? I mean, is it... Second round? Maybe uh, the, the Cowboys in my lifetime have just not had playoff success. Yeah, and I, that's my recollection too. And and so is Prescott a guy who is a you know regular season warrior and cannot deliver in the postseason? And maybe that's where the story evolves to for the Cowboys going forward. You know, I I, I guess the other thing you got to think about with the Cowboys is you know they invested a lot of that money into a running game, which I think is fading rapidly so the you know this forecast of 10.1 wins you know prescott may be they may be entering a different kind of phase in dallas yeah where they're going to start to play a tougher schedule uh some of the rest of the team is going to be degrading and it's going to be more on prescott's shoulders and so the question is you know is he a guy that can't deliver in the pro in the postseason or is he a guy that can you know with maturity is going to start to win those playoff games you said you're a Giants fan. How do you see this turning out? I, until proven otherwise, I see more of the same for the Dallas Cowboys. Is that wild card or divisional round exit from the playoffs? You go back in time. The last time they made it past the divisional round, which is technically the first round of the playoffs, was 1995, and, and they won the Super Bowl that season. Ever since 1995, it's been wild card or divisional round every single year that they've made the playoffs and they haven't always made the playoffs. So I think the Cowboys are the most talented team in the NFC East. And I think they benefit and have benefited in recent years. I think they've had a Super Bowl window for quite some time where it feels like, man, they've this division isn't that difficult. They can position themselves to even not even have to play a wild card game to skip right on to the divisional round. And whether it's coaching or management or whatnot, they have not had, pieces to move forward a lot of fans i think think the common denominator is jerry jones i don't know how fair that is but i do know he's probably the most involved owner in the nfl come playoff time there's almost a curse on the cowboys that in the words of ted lasso they've got a curse to reverse yeah and i guess the the other speculation is how many years can you have let's say first round playoff exits in dallas without and again maybe there is a jerry jones issue that he that he creates a culture that affects the team performance. You know, how many years can you have the lack of getting to the Super Bowl 
before Jones feels the need to tinker with the quarterback position. Mm-hmm. I, I think, you know, the, these quarterback deals, uh, I forget what the length of his is. They all seem to be, you know, 140, 150, $160 million for four years. Mm-hmm. So I think that this would be Prescott going into, you know, three years left on this. It'll be, you know, unfair, but it could almost imagine it's starting to feel like the, the heat is on Prescott and the pressure is getting turned up more and more. I would say you know, he's at a plus two QB wins. If we start to see that regression that we've seen with Lamar Jackson and other mobile quarterbacks, and again, I don't think Prescott relies on his athleticism to the same extent, but if we start to see that regression from him, I wouldn't be shocked to see the Cowboys maybe not spend their first round pick on a quarterback, but start taking shots at some guys to see if they can find a diamond in the rough, a, a Tom Brady to follow up the Drew Bloodsoed. Not that Prescott has had the career that Drew Bledsoe had. A Kirk Cousins behind RG3, that someone waiting in the wings that potentially could be a franchise guy and take them to the next step. Well, and I think the, the other thing about this division, this division's really average. Yeah. Right? The, the Cowboys should be able to win this division for one or more years. So they, they, they should continue to have that divisional success. At number two... And really, it was actually kind of close in terms of the numbers, uh, two and three. I've got the Philadelphia Eagles and Jalen Hurts at two, and I've got the Washington Commanders and Carson Wentz at three. Mm-hmm. It's, um, but I don't think either of, either of those teams or those quarterbacks really is going to be tremendously exciting to anyone at the at this point. You know, Hurts is Hurts is still a young guy. Um, I have him last year at a minus 1.7, mm-hmm. so close, close to a minus 2 win contribution. That's the kind of level where I think it gets really dangerous, where it, you know teams are going to move to start thinking about a change. Mm-hmm. You know, When it's a minus 3, looking at the data, that guy almost never plays, you know, never returns for more than another year after that kind of season. Uh, Hurt is, like I said, a, a young guy... But the development needs to be seen very quickly here, or the Eagles are probably going to be in the position of starting to trying to find that next franchise quarterback. Yeah. But again, the the complexity on some of this stuff, and again, this way of looking at the teams across the league is interesting because I also have the Eagles forecast at nine wins. Mm. Now you come in at nine wins, that's going to put you in. Uh, you know, wild card contention. Oh yeah, and so it's these these teams with questionable quarterbacks that might be just a little bit above five hundred. That's a real sticky place for a, for an NFL team, and frankly, there's a lot of NFL teams in that situation. Yeah, interestingly enough, my player comp for Jalen Hurts coming out of college was Dak Prescott. I thought he was a pretty similar prospect. Hurts at Alabama, his first two years was not much of a passer. He really developed in his third and fourth season under the offensive coordinator that Alabama brought in. Of course, Tua was getting the majority of the starting reps, but when Hurts were coming to the games, all of a sudden you're like, wow, this guy looks like an NFL quarterback. He's making some throws we haven't seen him make. But Oklahoma under Lincoln Riley continued to play at that level as far as passing the ball, and, and people felt like uh, pretty confident that you know he might be a franchise NFL quarterback. Hasn't had a ton of success early in his career. He's had flashes, though. He's had flashes. But I think the toughest thing in this story that we haven't talked about yet 
is Gardner Minshew, second string sitting right there behind Jalen Hurts. Gardner Minshew, before the Jacksonville Jaguars drafted Trevor Lawrence, it had performed at a really high level for Jacksonville, especially with what he was working with. He comes in and they have him waiting in the wings behind Hertz at Philadelphia. It, I think it's easy to imagine if you've got a fringe playoff team and a guy like Hertz is not performing at a high level, you know, if he's performing at a minus two QB wins level again, they feel like Minshew could be a break even or even a plus one type guy. I wouldn't be shocked to see Minshew get his shot at some point in the season. But, of course, it's very possible that Jalen Hurts takes that next step into Dak Prescott territory. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, as you as you go through that, that makes a lot of sense to me, that the Eagles could be in one of these pitch situations where they're, they're about a 500 team, yeah. you know, maybe a little above, maybe a little bit below. They don't have an obvious candidate at the quarterback. or They, they don't have a, a guy that is the guy, right. right? And I think in those situations, there's always going to be this tendency to tinker, which is just going to, you know, I think often leads to some disruption, but maybe you look at it as it leads to some competitive pressures and the top, the top guy comes out. You know, as I think about the Eagles, I'm thinking, God, these, when was the last time they really had stability at the quarterback position? <laughs> I mean, it wasn't too long ago that the Eagles were winning a Super Bowl but it seems like they've had a different guy in place every year well, since then. When they won a Super Bowl, they didn't have stability at the quarterback position. Yeah. Carson Wentz had his injury problems. He was the one guy that people had pegged as the quarterback to carry that franchise, and they ended up winning a Super Bowl largely without him. Of course, he contributed With- that season, but Nick Foles led the team to the Super Bowl. Some people might have thought after that, okay, maybe this is a Tom Brady situation where... You win one with somebody and they just kind of take the reins, but Foles didn't do that. And prior to that, the last I can think of the Eagles truly having a franchise quarterback is Donovan McNabb. He, I mean, there was no question about him for years and they were in contention for a very long time, unfortunately for them. So was Tom Brady and the Patriots. I think you're going back to the 90s on McNabb, right? Late 90s? 2000s. 2000s. Terrell Owens was on that team. And then... Beyond. Donovan McNabb played, I think, I've got a friend who was his basketball coach at Mount Carmel High School Yeah, um, with um, Antoine Walker at Kentucky. Oh, wow. So imagine a, a high school team with Antoine Walker and Donovan, Donovan McNabb. McNabb for Mount Carmel. That is, <laughs> that is crazy. That Wow. I would love to see their highlights. Um, Michael Vick was kind of a franchise quarterback there. It just was, he's coming out of prison and nobody really knew what he had left in the tank and played at a pretty high level for a couple years but McNabb's the last one I think of where they they really knew this is the the franchise quarterback okay so we got Cowboys at projected number one in this division got the Eagles projected at number two in this division you know the other side story and you know frankly as a marketing guy maybe this should be the main story is that you know the NFC East is the glamour division yeah. in professional football the the Cowboys are you know brand number one or number two depending on the metric you use. I've got the Eagles ranked number four as a brand. You know this is where and I think it was always CBS Sports. You know they built their their Sunday programming around the NFC East oh, yeah. of and it was us always easy like Cowboys well Cowboys Redskins at the time yep. or Giants Eagles and it was just a veritable hype machine. Yep. As we go through this division, 
And I think it's been true in this division for a number of years. Everything seems shaky, doesn't it? It does. And there, I mean, I remember years when Tony Romo was playing for the Cowboys, Eli Manning with the Giants, the Eagles with prior to wins, like with a Michael Vick. And the, I mean, to be honest, the commanders slash R words have just not been very good, but they've always, with RG3, for example, they had years or a year where they were borderline elite and they always could beat the Cowboys on any given year. They could beat the Eagles. They could beat the Giants in any given game. They had this kind of magic about them. Reminds me of Auburn against Alabama in football. That's how it was for the longest time. And it felt like not only the most hyped division, but the best division in football. They lost that status long ago. I th- I mean, I think it's got to be Tony Romo, Eli Manning days when the NFC East was last ahead in the NFL. It's been a long time, and it, it you know there's no signs of them becoming that preeminent team. I also you know I frankly think a lot of that has to do with quarterback, and I think until there's a Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen type player drafted to a couple of these teams, it's going to stay that way. At least one. Right. I mean, there's got to be, you know, in some ways, maybe the biggest thing that Prescott needs, he needs like someone that he can have these kind of Monday night football epic battles with. Um, Number three in the division. And again, talking about how this thing feels shaky. This team feels like they're in chaos. The Washington Commanders and Carson Wentz. Uh, Wentz is all over the place in these. He might be the have the most variability from year to year. I think, of any quarterback in the data. Um, he was a break-even guy in Indianapolis last year, minus 0.3. He was a minus 3.8, so terrible in 2020. Uh, Heineke was a nice story in 21, 2021, but he was also like a minus 2 kind of guy. So again, sort of right on the fringe of where a change is going to get made, that minus 2, minus 1.5 level. Um, but... All that being said, you know, looking at some of the scheduling factors and these kind of competitive balance, reversion to the mean things, I still have the commanders at eight wins. Given the chaos of that team, Doug, that seems like an incredibly optimistic projection. It feels like they should be winning three games given the coverage they get in terms of everything that happens. Yeah, it seems to be a never-ending PR nightmare. In Washington. Well, how does that sound? I'll send you, you know, Doug suffering from from allergies. <laughs> so, how does this sound? You know, this uh, Cowboys versus again back in the day in the seventies, Redskins on Monday Night Football, or you know, Giants Eagles. Now we've got a matchup between the Eagles and the Commanders. <laughs> it sounds like there's a USFL team that's getting a one-off exhibition game. Did did, did Birmingham win that? Uh, League, the Stallions won. And hey, I got to okay. I gotta say, I'm glad the state of Alabama could get a championship in football this year. I'm, I'm sure that makes, I'm sure that makes everyone in that state feel. I hope, content. I hope that that's but, how things go from here on out. That, that they, was enough for them. Yeah, yeah. They just get the nice consolation prize. Yeah. Get those USFL championships all the way. Okay. So the, the commanders and Carson Wentz, Doug, what do you think? I like Taylor Heineke more than I like oh, Carson did? Wentz. He was he, okay. He was fun. I don't. He's just got heart, man. First time I watched him, I was like, "Is this guy? Is he going to be like a Tony Romo? That just comes out of nowhere and takes the league by storm?" And of course, that was short lived. More of a Jeremy Lin, uh, but Carson Wentz, I loved at one point. It's just, it's hard to imagine him turning around and becoming the player that 
he once was or once was developing to be after some of the seasons that he's had and the injuries that he's had. I can't think of a quarterback who has turned it around in the way that the commanders are counting on Carson Wentz turning it around. And so Heineke right there, and then Sam Howell drafted out of North Carolina. People forget Sam Howell, his freshman year at UNC, took over the ACC. A lot of people had him projected to be the number one pick come the 2022 NFL draft. Of course, his stock dropped over the course of the year. Some other guys rose, and he was not a storyline this draft. He's kind of a forgotten name, but there was a time where people thought he was a future franchise quarterback. He's still the same prospect that he was then. He may have had, he may have regressed a little bit to the mean as far as his performance in college, but I wouldn't be shocked to see Sam Howell get some snaps at some point this year. If the commanders end up in a situation where they're eliminated from the playoffs, which is seems like that would probably happen, I wouldn't be shocked to see Howell get his chance. Um, Heineke's seemed to have his chance, even though he was kind of a fan favorite, kind of like Gardner Minshew at, at Jacksonville and Carson Wentz. Like I said before, he's had several chances, different franchises. He's performed at a really high level. He's performed at a really low level. Seems like he's been on the decline in general as far as his trajectory. So it's it's hard to imagine his trajectory completely reversing, especially in Washington where nothing good seems to ever happen. I think you just called it. I think you just called the commander season because it's the perfect fit for where they're at as a brand. Yeah. That they're going to have three different starting quarterbacks this year. I could definitely see that. Again, I mean, that's particularly seems... with Wentz's injury history, too. I mean, if nothing else, the thought of him playing 16 games and staying healthy for 16 games doesn't seem highly likely. Yeah. And I'm, you know what? I think we're done discussing the commanders because I think you just called it. That is the perfect next step in this evolution for this team to go through this season with three different, you know, musical cha- chairs at the quarterback position. By the way, you know, so we've got the Cowboys ranked as the number one or two brand in the NFL. The Eagles number, I think I said four. The Commanders fan base ranking is number 32. Well, they were probably once so, top five, I would imagine. Oh, I, I think when, when I began doing this, they may not have been top five, but they are always sort of borderline, you know, five, six, seven in, in that kind of range. You know, people forget, I think RFK Stadium, they used to be able to charge enormous prices in that stadium. Yeah, I think it it had one of the largest capacities in the league, and it was, uh, you know, it was a glamour franchise. Maybe it wasn't the Cowboys or the Packers, but it was certainly at the same level of the Chicago Bears, oh, yeah. the Denver Broncos, the San Francisco 49ers. Nothing, you know, and, and if anything, I suspect that maybe they were a little weaker just because in some ways, the D.C. area is a little bit of a tough sports market. Yeah. But if you adjust for that, it is a – well, I'm you know, D.C. is – it's a government place. So I think yeah. it has a lot of people that sort of come in or historically come in and come out before the, the permanent yeah. bureaucracy. So is isn't quite like Boston or Chicago. Mm-hmm. But, you know, like I said, this is a great case study for how everything can go wrong on a brand. Yeah, we've, t- we've talked about it before, but, uh, and I've told you, Mike, I've got a lot of family that were diehard R-Words fans for life, grew up in D.C. Even some of them moved, but were still diehard. They would go to the away games when the Skins would play in their city. And 
they lost interest. They're completely not even fans of the franchise anymore. And I think they might become fans again if Dan Snyder leaves. But until then, they're completely, they're not even fans. They don't even watch the games. They don't even care. And I'll, I'll say one more thing. We mentioned three quarterback changes this season. How about this? How about every time there's a quarterback change in Washington, they have to rebrand the team? New name. <laughs> I, I think they might as well. Completely fair. Now, let me ask you this. And maybe you don't know this. I have no idea. Has the NFL films gone back in their archives? And I mean, because you're very good at calling them the R words. I tend to, you know, I, I look, who knows, eventually may get in trouble for that of sort of just repeating something that was said, uh, you know, thousands of times, right? Uh, you know, with the, the name of the team. Has the NFL gone back and edited out that word? That's a great question. Like, are they going to blur out the logo on the helmets when they when they show old Super Bowl highlights from those teams, or will those teams just be scrapped from history? <laughs> yeah, or, or did they just say when they're when they're doing the NFL film of you know the you know John Riggins that they they just say Washington? I think been, it'll they be that. Washington instead of. I yeah. think it's going to always be Washington or DC or something or the Joe Gibbs led football team. I don't know. <laughs> I think that's got to be the NFL film's strategy. But to be fair, I haven't seen anything NFL films in regards to the Washington football team commanders, our words, in a long time. I don't think there's the interest that there once was. I know they have that Super Bowl history. I don't know how relevant that history is once you change names and change uniforms. It's like it's a different franchise and that's no longer a franchise. Well, and, and as a little bit of an aside on that, I mean, I started doing this assignment in class, the sports marketing class, where I asked people, to, student groups, to rebrand the Washington football team. And I can tell you, even over the last five, six years, student interest in this topic has diminished. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, you know, we think of these brands as kind of long lasting, and I think they are, but this is, has been relentless to the point where, and there were always a good contingent of students that were Washington fans. And now it's just, it's just dead in the water. And, and again, it's like, how do you rebuild that? You rebuild that by winning. How do you win in the NFL? You have a, you know, really uber talented quarterback, even better if he's a Joe Burrow kind of personality or a Zach Wilson type personality, mm -hmm. depending on the direction you want to go with a friend. <laughs> um, but Clearly, none of that happening in Washington going into this year. Not right now. And I think fans are probably, the fans that are left are probably n not hinging their hopes on Sam Howell, but that's where they probably have the most optimism because they feel like the ceiling is still there with him. With Wentz, it seems like we've seen what he can do. With Heineke, it seems like we've seen what he can do. I don't know that there's faith from the fan base that either guy is going to right the ship in Washington and lead the team to Super Bowls. Sam Howell's a young guy who we've yet to see what he could do. He could be the worst of the three, but I would imagine fans are probably going to be clamoring for him as soon as there's a couple L's on the, on the score sheet. Do you know Wentz had a, Wentz contract, Wentz's contract was four years at 128 million. He's got three years left on that. So they're married. Well, but, you know, how much of this is actually, uh, 
you know, how much of this is fully guaranteed in terms of how much of it was paid out. But I mean, I'm looking at spot track and I don't know, I don't know exactly how to interpret this, but like based on the notes here that they're kind of committed to him through 2023 and then they can sort of jettison him as a player. So he is probably playing for his, he's playing not to get cut. And, and so in some ways it's probably a fascinating locker room. But maybe it's happening in a place where no one cares. Yeah, I think so. And I think it's interesting how much faith the organization seems to have put in Carson Wentz, given his trajectory over the years. A little bit of a head-scratcher, and I think it's probably... I think that move was another one that that was absolutely frustrating for the Washington faithful. Yeah. Okay, Doug... Last place in the division, first in your heart, I have the New York football giants and Daniel Jones, and they are forecasted, one of the lowest forecasts in uh, across the entire league at 6.2 wins. It's like It's one of these forecasts where we're lucky that the NFL doesn't have relegation or their, their, their primary New York team would be on the bubble going into the season. They've been on the bubble since Tom Coughlin was fired. Um, and the things have not gotten better. I think what I've learned as a Giants fan is that in the NFL, if you don't have a good general manager, it will take probably 10 years minimum to climb back to relevance because... Well- Remind me, what's the name of the general manager? Well, it was Gettleman for the long, and he was yeah. he was fired, and he's the one that a lot of Giants fans feel like set the franchise back with his picks over the years. It, I mean, the draft is so important in the NFL, and when you have multiple years and you go through seven rounds and you're missing on six out of seven or five out of seven or four out of seven, it sets the whole team back, and the level of talent on the ones and the twos and the threes for the Giants has just not been what it needs to be, particularly on the offensive line. They've set out to help fix that. They drafted Evan Neal this year. Last year, used a first-round pick on an offensive lineman as well out of Georgia, Andrew Thomas. And they are trying to give Daniel Jones something to work with because that quarterback is, he's thought of as a really bad NFL quarterback. If you watch the games, he has a lot of potential and he's shown it. He has not had much to work with, and it really hasn't been a fair shot for him. So he's in a position where he's he's fighting to get that big quarterback contract, but you know he's got to have some protection. He's got to have some skilled players around him. And the Giants are, are trying to provide that for him. They're making up for a lot of lost time under Gettleman, and we'll see because you look at their playoff history. Last time the New York Giants were even in the playoffs, 2016. Last time they won a playoff game, 2011. It's been over, wow. and that was a Super Bowl. So over 10 years since the New York Giants won a playoff game, absolutely unacceptable, particularly in that market where criticism is always constant. I remember when Manning was quarterback, and they were making the playoffs every year, and people wanted him benched. The Giants fans are, are beyond frustrated and ready for some hope and who knows with this year? I can't imagine it being worse than last year or the year prior. You seem like you've got some actual enthusiasm and hope. 
Are you reaching? I mean, is that a reflection of the fan base, or is this positive fan? And again, I'm not. I'm offering no critique here. Yeah. I'm genuinely interested. Is the fan base? Do they think they got a shot with this guy? I think most of the fan base says no. I think most of the fan base is ready to move on and says no. And I think this year's kind of the make or break year for DJ Danny Dimes, as they call him. I'm just seeing what he's had to work with. I can't imagine if we had Tom Brady out there that the the results would be too much different. I mean, it's been truly a pathetic offensive line, pathetic receiving core. And Saquon Barkley, who's the shining light of that offense, has been hurt for the majority of Jones's career. So he just has not had much to work with. And it's really hard to evaluate a quarterback who who especially a young quarterback who's in that position. And so you take the same guy and you put him in the Mac Jones situation, you put him in that New England Patriots system with their receivers, I think people would be really excited about him. And and that's my that's my critique. So Mike, what is what is his QB win stat? I've got Jones at a minus one player for last year. So uh, again, sort of the range where teams start thinking about making a change, but not a a minus one QB rating is not the thing that leads you to be what they what they Giants win like four or five games last year. In 2021, the Giants went four and thirteen, fourth yeah. in the so division. So if if you're winning four games and the quarterback is a minus one, you know my numbers are completely consistent with your explanation of the, or your description of the team, Doug. Where it's like that is a team that is in disarray and a quarterback that cannot salvage the situation. Mm. You know, maybe if you put a Pat Mahomes in that situation or an, an Aaron Rodgers, maybe you have a team that, that plays 500 football. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, for a, the year before, uh, Jones was a minus 1.7. So, again, he's seems like he's progressing. Maybe he's a, look, looking at the numbers, he's a journeyman guy. He's not the answer for the NFL football giants, but he's also not the cause. You know, his upside is he could evolve to being a Kirk Cousins. He's not going to be Tom Brady. Yeah. I, I, but, but you know, what a dumb thing to say, right? There's no, <laughs> never been no, another one. Tom Brady. He's not going to be, he's not going to be Ben Roethlisberger. Yeah. But yeah. I was highly critical of the Daniel Jones draft pick at the time. I've been highly critical of a lot of things the Giants have done. And yet, come the beginning of the season, when every team is zero and zero, every year, this year's no exception, deep down in my heart, deep in my soul, there is this feeling of what if? What if they turn it around? What if DJ turns the corner? What if Saquon is finally healthy for a full season? What if this new coach comes in and his system just works? What's the mood or the perspective of the fans on Barkley? A running back losing big chunks early on in his career, usually a bad situation for the running back. Not, yeah. In today's NFL, it's hard to imagine him returning to that kind of MVP caliber play. But Saquon. I pulled the numbers. He's 1,300 yards rushing in 2018, 1,000 in 2019. 34 in 2020, 593 in 2021. Is there discussion about a contract extension or is this just, uh, did they renegotiate it? Did they give, did they pay him big money? 
he will be a free agent in 2023. This year, his base salary is over $7 million. Okay, so the, he, never, um, he never got paid. Yeah, his cap percentage has never been higher than 5.4% of the roster, which... I, I would expect that to be a pretty significant story in New York, right? I mean, yeah. again, does he come back? If he comes back, he's going to be desperate to get paid given that injury history. But He's going to be desperate to get paid, but people forget yeah. about Saquon Barkley is that he's had that Adrian Peterson level of hype and the Adrian Peterson yeah. level of highlights when he's healthy. And so he's 25 years old. For running backs, it might seem like, yeah, he's not worth an investment going to that second contract from 26 to 30. But you look at the career of the guys that he's been compared to throughout the years, Adrian Peterson definitely would have been worth the money from 26 to 30 and and also was, had injuries prior to that as well. So Saquon Barkley, this year, you know, if he gets hurt, if he has another sub-1,000 rushing yards because of injuries or for whatever reason – I would expect them to kind of let him slip away, particularly with the change in GMs. This GM's not, doesn't have a bias toward Barkley. You know, he'd probably look at the situation and say it'd be better to just draft a guy in the fifth round that'll produce at the same level uh, for the most part and save some money. So we'll see what happens. But Barkley, I think, is like the big storyline that no one's talking about because no one talks about running backs anymore. And I think that's, you know, that's one of these ones where, where you start to see the brand power of a team erode, right? So, because Barkley has had so much hype, and if frankly the Giants get nothing out of the Barkley experience, and he sort of fades to you know goes to another team or heads out of town, it's it feels like a missed opportunity. And I think that might be that's the kind of thing that I think really drains the fan base over time. Oh yeah. In, in the fan base rankings, we have the Giants at number thirteen, which again. You know, it's the upper half of the league, but actually, that that feels too low. And if that's if I'm the NFL, that's something that worries me. I want my premier NFL, my premier New York NFL franchise, to be a top five or at least a top ten brand. Yeah, I think so too. And it's just the the success and failures um, largely determine that over the course of a ten year span. When you don't win a playoff game for over ten years. And you're the New York Giants. The, there's certain, and there's no prospects as far as I. And there's an article that came out earlier today saying the Giants have the fourth worst roster in terms of talent in the NFL at this point in time. So there's not a lot of hope. There's not a lot of optimism. But like I said, Mike, as a fan, I go into the season. I look at it. We could have a healthy Saquon this year. We do potentially have a better offensive line for Daniel Jones. Daniel Jones is a year more in the system. They have a different coaching staff. And you start to, whether it's rational or not, start to get these optimistic feelings of like, man, we're really not that far off from where the Cowboys are. Maybe we could overthrow them this year, take the NFC East, and, and shock the world. Doug, you know, that's the best part about being a fan, that overly optimistic feeling. You know, that's <laughs> Irrationally sort of optimistic. Oh, because you think about what the, what the fan experience is, actually, in terms of emotions. You know, like, I'm wearing a Georgia Bulldog t-shirt, and obviously that's your primary team you know i know other georgia bulldog fans living down here in atlanta you know i don't think they actually enjoyed a minute of that national championship game right it is nothing but sort of torture and terror for three hours long the hope is always you know it's all it's a strange thing right it's like the emotional benefits or pluses of being a fan 
actually occur before the kickoff and exactly. after the games are over. Yeah. I always tell people before those big games, I remember the SEC championship game last year. I went in Atlanta and the people I was with, I said, guys, we got to just milk it today. We got to enjoy this because at this point in time, there's a chance that Georgia knocks off Alabama and that clock starts in there. The ball kicks off and one drive, two drives, that chance may have already ended. But up until then, we still have hope. We still have that chance. And like right now, Georgia is in the mix. Like we might be the number one team in the country. And that's kind of the mindset. But the Georgia fan base at that point in particular was particularly unique in the sense that they weren't eternally optimistic. They expected horror. They expected Georgia could have been up 40 points against Alabama in the national championship game. And that fan base who had witnessed the Atlanta Falcons blow a 28 to three lead who had witnessed second and 26 against Alabama who had witnessed Tennessee beat Georgia on a hail Mary when I was a student in Sanford stadium, seven seconds after Georgia had won the game on a hail Mary or thought they had won the game. They always expect the worst. And so that, that fan base was very tortured. And I think the words of the ESPN analyst, I believe it was Chris Fowler saying demons be gone as Keely Ringo ran back that pick six was it was truly great wording because there were some demons haunting that fan base for the longest time. And I think you're right. I don't think people were able to just relax and enjoy watching the team like you know, I think they'll be able to in the coming years. No, it's more terror. Okay. Yeah. So the last thing I want to do is sort of let's go quickly go through my projections versus the ESPN and the NFL.com yep. win projections. Um, and I'll just sort of read these out. I don't know that there's anything particularly we need to dig into. Uh, for the Cowboys, I have them at 10.1 wins. ESPN is a little more optimistic. It's at 10.5 wins. NFL.com at 9.6. So ended up right in the middle the, on those two. Uh, the Eagles, I've got at 8.9. This is probably where the where things are the most different. ESPN has them at 9.2. NFL.com has the Eagles at a 10-win team. So the, they actually have the Eagles and Jalen Hurts projected out ahead of the Cowboys to win that division. Uh, wow. The Washington, D.C., I've got them at we're, – we're all in a row. I got the – I got the I want to call them the United, who signed Wayne Rooney as their new coach today or yesterday. Um, I got them at 8.4 wins, ESPN at 8.0, NFL.com at 7.8. So – Pretty even. The New York Football Giants. ESPN really likes the New York Football Giants. I got them at 6.2. NFL has them at 6.5. ESPN has them at 7.8 wins, Doug. 7.8 wins. See, 7.8 wins. Feels like 500 before we went to 17 (laughs) games, right? Yeah, 7.8 wins is football purgatory (laughs) these days. And so that's where you don't want to be. You want to be... You want to be at the four wins or less, or you want to be nine and above. Okay, so that is our NFL East preview. We will be back next week with the, sorry, the NFC East. We'll be back next week with the NFC North. Doug, a little bit of a look ahead. I thought my favorite quarterback division was the AFC North after sort of reading through the numbers again. I think it's the NFC North. I love this division going ahead. It's got wow. it's got something of every kind of type of quarterback story. 
Um, maybe there's not going to be any drama in terms of who wins that division. I think that's a uh, Aaron Rodgers runaway. But every story is fun in that division. Yeah, I am looking forward to discussing that one next week, Mike. And I'll be honest, just talking about this and looking at these numbers, I'm starting to get football fever. It's about time for Madden to come out so it can at least simulate some of these situations because once football season gets going, it's game over. The world is a better place for <laughs> football fans, and there's just no getting around it. That the lead up, I think to for it, sports fan, I think for sports fans, Doug, right? Yeah. It's like it's like there's the NFL season, and then there's kind of off season with some diversions. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, and that right now we're in a little bit of a drought for non baseball fans. Um, outside of the world games happening in my home state, or my home city of Birmingham, Alabama, which I'm, you wouldn't I'm know sorry. about. I'm sorry, I'm going to ask a really dumb question. The world games? That's not a really dumb question to anyone outside of Birmingham. It's like the Olympics, but with sports that aren't in the Olympics. They're having like sumo wrestling, and <laughs> I don't know. I've seen breakdancing, all kinds of interesting sports. It's a knockoff Olympics. It's kind of, the Birmingham is the home of the knockoff Sports because USFL is Doug. knockoff NFL, Walmart brand NFL, and then this is Walmart brand Olympics. The wall, the World Games might be my favorite sporting entity that is going on right now. Honestly, I've never heard of it before. Right now, yeah, you need. They got break dancing and sumo wrestling. They got both, and honestly, I think they need to add sumo wrestlers break dancing as an event because that would be truly innovative. And I think that could push sports forward as well as the body positivity movement. Hey, well, you know what? And, and we'll wrap up here a second in, a, in just a second. Your hometown's really an interesting place, isn't it? In <laughs> it terms really. Of sports. I the, mean, I don't know what the strategy be, is. But there's definitely a strategy, right? I mean, yeah. they're building stadiums, they're bringing in new, you know, football leagues, they're operating the world games. It sounds like Birmingham, you know, the the city government or the sports commission has got a plan yeah and they're implementing it yeah and i will say on a local level people are excited you know i don't know anyone outside of the state of alabama who even knows the world games exist but on my instagram story every night i see people who are taking videos and showing off like wow this is so cool this is so you know they feel like they're the center of the universe for a moment perhaps that is not true <laughs> but it's it's there is some excitement and another event coming up in that region is they're hosting a, they have a G League team now for the Pelicans. And so they've got that little minor league basketball presence and they're going to host a preseason NBA game between, I believe it's the Hawks and the Pelicans. And people are real excited about that too. So Birmingham, it's like they're flirting with, with professional sports, but starting you know dipping their toes in with the usfl preseason nba g league and of course the world games which are presently going on are they on television i have no idea yeah i mean champa bay maybe it's your time but clearly the future is the magic city the magic city birmingham alabama we'll keep an eye on birmingham we will keep an eye Thanks. on birmingham as always you know the full write-up and all the details on our projections at www.fandomanalytics.com. Talk to you next week. Subscribe to the podcast.